Morning, everyone. Can you hear me okay? Well, thank you, Joe, for that kind introduction. And thank you all for taking the time to be here today. Am I really loud? Not anymore? Okay, good. Um, I have to be honest. When Joe first asked me to speak as part of this series a couple of months ago, I was like, nah, I'm good. Um, I didn't feel like I had a whole lot to say, and I really, really hate public speaking, so this is not my wheelhouse. But I'm glad I agreed to speak because over the past few weeks, as I've been preparing, I really feel like I've learned a lot, and it's been neat to look back over the journey where God has brought me over the past years and see the things that I've learned. And so the thing that I really wanted to share with you today, the point I hope you'll go home with, is that we become like Christ by walking with him daily and keeping our eyes fixed on him daily, like we sang in some of the songs this morning. And so I'm hoping to convey that to you by sharing with you a little bit of my own story and also by spending some time in Philippians looking at some of Paul's writings. And so I'm going to start just by reading our passage for today from Philippians and then referring back to that during our time together. It's in Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to be reading verses 4 through 14. Feel free to turn there in your Bible if you'd like to. Um, there's a Bible in the pew in front of you if you didn't bring one. And just to give a little bit of context, so Paul had started the church in Philippi years before. He was now sitting in a Roman prison, and he's writing this letter to them to encourage them, to thank them for the gift that they've given to help support him, and also to tidy up a couple of housekeeping things. And so at the beginning of this chapter, at the beginning of chapter 3, he warns them against some people who were coming into the church and saying that in addition to believing in Christ, you needed to do all the Jewish things, keep the Jewish law in order to be a really good Christian. Uh, Paul had some pretty strong words to say about that, um, and we're going to pick up right after he says some of those words this morning in verse 4. And he says, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider a loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me, Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And so I'm going to start with a little bit of my story. I had the good fortune to be born into a, a long history of faith. So my dad's parents were missionaries in Central America. They started um, Christian radio stations. My grandfather was an electrical engineer, and he built radio towers. And so they left uh, Christian radio stations manned by local churches throughout Central America. Uh, my dad and his five siblings all grew up there on the mission field, speaking English and Spanish equally well. And my dad came to the United States in order to finish up high school and then do college and, uh, and seminary after that. 
My mom was the daughter of a fruit farmer out in California, and her mom was a Christian women's speaker. So she talked at events, and she also developed women's curriculum. So my mom grew up in a Christian family as well, and then moved to Texas to work at Dallas Theological Seminary, which is where my parents met. After they got married, they decided to move to the East Coast. You see, they had a burden for starting churches in uh, mixed culture, mixed race communities. And it turns out there are a lot of families in these communities where one generation or spouse will speak only English and the other will speak only Spanish. You can imagine this makes communicating at home a little challenging, uh, but it also makes worship challenging as it's hard to find a place where both groups of people would feel equally comfortable worshiping God. And so that's what my parents did. They started churches where English and Spanish were, were preached and were praised equally, um, and, and people could feel comfortable worshiping there together. They started churches in Allentown, in Camden, and in Newark, New Jersey, and that's where I spent most of my childhood. Um, so I grew up there, um, a little bit an unusual situation, I'd say, as the homeschooled missionary kid um, with five siblings, four siblings, sorry, five including me. Um, and, and it was actually a, a really great place to grow up for me. And so you'll see this is a picture of, um, of our house growing up, thanks to Google Maps. Um, we grew up in a block, uh, halfway between a brothel and a dairy queen. Um, and my brother and I, brothers and I would compete to see who could collect the broadest variety of colors of these little tubes. These are crack vials, actually. And um, outside our house, I discovered that I wasn't the only one obsessed with finding these when I was a kid. This is a piece of art by Candy Jernigan, who actually found over 300 different crack vials and caps and her walk around the East Village uh, over the course of about two weeks back in the 80s. So it was a problem in the 80s and 90s. We don't see these so much anymore, right? But, you know, we grew up right in the midst of all this. And, I mean, despite that, it was... It was a really good childhood. Uh, we loved, I loved being homeschooled. Uh, it was a lot of time with family. We were very close-knit um, and, you know, learned a lot. But it definitely was a, a stretching time, particularly for my parents. There were a lot of experiences that we went through um, that, you know, as a kid maybe we didn't feel as strongly, but that certainly shook them. I think particularly of one instance when I was about 12 when a man was shot and killed across the street from our house in a drive-by shooting. Um, and this really shook my parents because it didn't take much imagination to think what would have happened if he'd been on our side of the street instead and all those stray bullets that went into the house across the street had come into our house instead. You know, my brothers slept in the front bedrooms there. And so this really shook my parents. They questioned, you know, are we really doing the right thing by putting our family here in physical harm? Is this, you know, is this what God wants for us? Um, but they had to walk by faith, and, you know, they saw God working, and they kept their eyes focused on Christ, and that was how they really decided, you know, this is where we we're supposed to be. We're going to continue here, and God will take care of our family. I remember seeing my dad praying on his knees every day in the morning. Um, he had a picture of this um, painting from the 1500s at the, at the place where he'd pray, and, you know, really tried to live that out in his life. My parents also tried to really instill in us, um, you know, the biblical disciplines of, of Bible reading and prayer. We had to go to church, so, you know, that wasn't really negotiable. Um, but they really wanted us to have the firm foundation to develop our own faith as well. And we also had, you know, family devotions on a regular basis. Um, when I was about 10 years old, I was reading my own devotions, um, which was Keys for Kids. It actually still exists today. Now it's a, um, actually an app with an audio devotional, which is kind of cool, so I encourage you with kids to think about checking it out. Um, but I was reading my devotional, and I was overcome with the realization that God is perfect, and he loves us, but I am not. 
I was struck with the realization that I'm sinful and that because of that, I'd be spending eternity apart from God except for the act of Jesus. This was a turning point in my life, and I decided that I wanted to accept Jesus as my Savior. I wanted to follow God and spend the rest of my life obeying his will rather than my own. For those of you who know me, this is no small feat. I am a pretty task-oriented and self-sufficient, a.k.a. prideful person. Um, so it's pretty tough for me to listen to and wait on God on a regular basis. But that's something you know I really decided to do in that moment. So hang on with me for a moment. We're going to turn back to Paul and just humor me for a bit. So if you look at verses 4 through 6, Paul is talking about you know his religious pedigree. All these great things his parents had done to instill in him the Jewish faith and that he had then done as he grew up. And I'd like to, it's a bit of a stretch, I know, but I'd like to say that, you know, Paul and I have some similarities in this regard. You know, my grandparents and my parents were both very, you know, strong and active in their faith as pastors and missionaries. You know, I grew up as a pastor's kid teaching Sunday school and playing tenor sax on the worship team. You know, my parents had done everything they could to instill in faith in me. Like Paul, I had a, a clear moment where I really understood that Jesus came you know, to be our Savior and that God wants to spend eternity with us. And like Paul, I decided I wanted to spend my life following him. Um, we're going to come back to some more comparisons in a little bit, but I wanted to just pause there and point those things out. As I grew older, I continued to try to make choices to follow God regularly. My path felt very natural and normal at the time, but I think looking back, it's a little bit exceptional, and I can only ascribe that to really God opening doors and just having a hand on my life. Um, I was homeschooled for most of my pre-college education, and I love the flexibility that that gave me. I loved learning, um, and so I love being able to take classes at my own speed and take extra subjects. I mean, who does that? Me. Um, in order to learn things. When I was 14, I took some local uh, classes at a local college, New Jersey Institute of Technology, in order to do some things that my parents couldn't really easily teach at home, like physics lab and computer science, computer programming. I really enjoyed that, and the next year they gave me a full scholarship, so I started college as a freshman when I was 15. I graduated when I was 18 with a degree in biomedical engineering and plans to go to medical school. And that time of college was really formative for me. It was really um, impactful in a spiritual sense. I became a part of InterVarsity during college, and that's a Christian organization that has chapters on many different campuses. Our church actually supports the InterVarsity chapter at Johns Hopkins up in Baltimore. I was involved at New Jersey Institute of Technology where I went to school. And through that and outside of that, I met many amazing Christians who really impacted me spiritually. I also met many amazing people of other faiths who helped me understand what they believed, Mormons, Jews, Muslims. And you know, this helped me develop a deeper understanding of what the Bible really teaches about God and what is so unique about Christ and so unique about the Bible story of God wanting to have a relationship with us. This really solidified my realization that following God is what I wanted to do with my life and the most important thing I could do with my life. College is also where I developed an appreciation for gospel music. There were morning praise parties to Kirk Franklin, Hezekiah Walker. It's also where I realized that people raised in the Catholic tradition could have deep personal relationships with God as well. I apologize if that offends any of you who were raised as Catholic, but I didn't know many when I was a child growing up, and those that I did really seemed to be very superficial in their faith. Um, but one of my very good friends in college was Roman Catholic, and through her I developed a, an appreciation for the liturgy and for liturgical worship. And I also, she showed me how to walk with God daily, you know, from sort of morning to, to evening and everything in between, and that's something I really appreciated. So because of all of these things, in college I was turning to God daily through Bible reading, through prayer, through conversations with others. 
I really felt close to the Lord and like I was able to understand and follow his will. I felt like I was able to sort of fix my eyes on him regularly. Also in college um, and through university, I met Tom, who I would later marry, um, although we didn't date in college, we did it afterwards. Sometime during this period of my life, before in college, Philippians 3.8 really became a, a guiding verse for me. It says, I consider everything, I put it up on the screen, a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may be found in Christ. Um, you know, in school, studying, my relationships with friends, my faith was the centerpiece and guiding principle of my life. At this point in my life, this verse really resonated with me because I was passionate about the Lord. I found it very easy to choose my relationship with God as the most important thing in my life. Sure, I hadn't had to give up everything like Paul had. In fact, to be honest, I really hadn't had to give up anything at this point in my life, but it really resonated with me at po that point. And I knew I, I was pretty confident that I'd be willing to give up anything God asked of me at that point, should the opportunity happen to arise. Um, during college, I had the opportunity to participate in a summer research program here at Johns Hopkins down here in Baltimore. Um, and then afterwards, I was accepted to medical school, so I came down here for medical school. Um, and I wanted to be a physician, but I also wanted to understand and to try to develop new cures for diseases. So I enrolled in an MD-PhD program. That's where I got my medical doctorate and then also my doctorate in neuroscience over the course of about eight years. And I really loved medical school. It was great. I mean, we got to learn so much about the body. Um, classes were intense, yes. You know, the workload went up, sure. Um, but it is just so amazing how creative God was when he made us. He really pulled out all the stops. So, you know, you'll see that you have in your bulletin a picture of the eye. You know, our photoreceptors are so complex. You know, he didn't have to allow us to see so many different colors, and yet he did. And we can and appreciate so much beauty because of that. Um, the human body is so adaptable to a range of physical and mental stresses and can accomplish huge feats. And, you know, these are amazing details that God put into our bodies. Our immune systems are able to keep out a whole host of threats because of our skin and other things. And just these things we take for granted on a daily basis are so intricate when you actually dig in and study them. It's just mind-blowing, really, really amazing. Um, as my school load increased, I continued finding time to spend with the Lord and keeping my focus on him. Learning about his amazing creation helped. I also met some uh, Christians in medical school and developed some deep friends there with whom to share faith struggles and successes. And uh, there were a group of us, actually, Christian and non-Christian, who met to study the Bible during my first year of med school. And that was really, really cool because uh, a good number of them had never read the Bible before. And we read through the book of John. And there was one very memorable uh, study in particular when the group collectively realized that Jesus and Mary Magdalene were not married. Um, and this was a shock. This was a, a game changer for that group. So this was really a revelation. So that was just so fun to get to see the Bible through other people's eyes, through fresh eyes again. Really enjoyed that. And again, all of these situations gave me um, opportunities to remember to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus, to turn to him daily and focus on him daily. But over the eight years spent in medical school, things changed. You know, I got married, bought a house, gained more responsibility, life experience, um, by the time I graduated from medical school in 2012, I started feeling like I wasn't quite as close to the Lord. My eyes were drifting off focus sometimes. Um, I felt like I was having regular times of Bible reading, attending church, being involved in my church, but I wasn't feeling in the presence of God daily, and I was definitely very distracted by things around me. Husband, kids, having possessions for the first time in my life, right? Like, you don't realize how much you don't have when you're a teenager and college student until you start to have stuff. Um, I caught myself looking around rather than keeping my eyes focused on the Lord. 
There were times I found it harder to really speak Paul's words as if they were my own. I was becoming more attached to things, particularly people in my life, and I found it harder to think I'd really be willing to give all of that up if that's what God were to ask of me. So, you know, when I look back, my spiritual journey when I was younger seemed very focused and direct towards God, right? But as I got older, it began to meander a little bit more. There were times when I would feel like I was close to the Lord, that I was really following him, keeping my eyes focused on him and doing his will. And there were times when I wasn't and maybe didn't even want to, right? Um, But this strikes me as a little bit dissonant, you know, that's not how it's supposed to be, is it? How do we persevere in what we've been called to? I've thought a lot about this over the past few years. So I graduated from medical school in 2012, so, you know, seven years of the time to sort of think about this and wrestle with this hasn't gone away. Um, And, you know, it's interesting because God has actually designed our bodies to become accustomed to and desensitized to things. This is normal biology. This is how we're supposed to be. So if you look up here on the screen, you can see... Up here in the left, this is a a cross-section of your skin. So this is the outside of your skin. This is the inside. And you can see all these little things throughout are different types of skin receptors. We have many different kinds of skin receptors, and they're amazing. And you guys know this, right? Because if a hair brushes your arm or a hair brushes a hair on your head or your arm, you feel it, right? We're very, very sensitive to picking things up. And yet we're all walking around wearing clothing and watches and things of that nature, and we don't notice it at all. We forget we're wearing it, right? So we've become desensitized to that. Our skin receptors have become desensitized to that so that we can feel when someone touches us on our arm. Similarly, I'll talk about the eye again. Okay, so this is okay. This is your eyeball, and these long cells back here are the rods and the cones. That's what lets you see light. Um, that's what lets you see color and contrast. But there is a whole network, a big gamish layer of cells in front of that that is integrating signal and creating gain and feedback in the system. And what that means is you can see me perfectly well, and most of you can see lots of colors in the stained glass, right? Um, But even in very low light, you can still see contrast incredibly well. And you can see a good number of colors. Even in very, very bright light, you can still see a broad array of colors. And that's because that network, through feedback adaptation, sort of desensitizes us to the amount of light coming in so that we're able to see in the optimal range for ourselves. And this isn't just our physical body, right? Like it happens to us mentally as well. How many of you have gotten ready for your day to go to work um, or driven to work or school or wherever and then maybe forgotten things that you've done that morning or forgotten the drive in, as it were? This is an adaptation we all have. It's, It's called outsourcing, right? It allows us to, instead of focusing on stuff with our cerebral brain, sort of put those things on autopilot, right? Instead, we get to think about that conversation we're having on the phone while we're driving or preparing for that meeting we have to have when we get into work. And these are really good things, really good adaptations. But this can also extend to other areas of our life. How many of you have become desensitized to a relationship in your life, right? Somebody that you took for granted or that maybe when the relationship was new and fresh, you were really into it, and then it sort of peters after a while. You sort of develop some friction. You're just not into them anymore. Friendships, relationships, all sorts of things, right? What about with God? Does our relationship with God become desensitized and adapted out as well? Um, And it turns out that Paul actually sort of addresses this issue in the passage. And as I read through it over time, something that I've come to see in there that I want to share with you. Um, I mentioned before that my background and Paul's are a little bit similar, right? We have some of these things going on. But then they diverge quite a bit. 
because this book was written probably about 26 years after Paul was converted. You know, he had an amazing conversion, um, but now he's in prison, and he's suffered a lot of stuff since then, right? He's been beaten, he's been whipped, he's been stoned, he's been shipwrecked, he's been hungry, all sorts of stuff that he suffered. I've suffered none of those things, by the way, in case you were wondering, not stoned recently, right? And despite all of that, he is still passionate and completely committed to the Lord. He's still writing this church to encourage them in their faith. How did he do it? Well, let's look a little bit further down. I want you to look at verse 9. It says, I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus. See, Paul had realized that righteousness comes from God alone. So righteousness is being made right before God, being seen as right, being seen as clean in his eyes. And it's interesting, if you back up a little bit to verse 8, you know, Paul said he considered all those things, all those things he talked about in verses 4 through 6, all those, like, super religious things, were rubbish, trash, crap, any word you want to pick in that category compared to knowing Christ. They were almost negative balance for being righteous before God, right? So even though he'd done so many things in his life that we would look at today and say, oh, he's such a good Christian, or in that case, such a good Jew, you know, he thought those things, he said, these things are negative towards my balance of being righteous before God. The only thing that really counts is righteousness through faith in Christ. It's Christ's work that makes me righteous. And see, I think this is really important because that freedom, that freedom in our relationship with God really only comes through faith, not through doing all the right things, right? Or wondering, am I having enough Bible reading in my life? Am I attending church enough? Those things aren't the things that give us a right status before God. Those things aren't the things that necessarily ensure our eyes are fixed on God. It's only by having faith in him that Paul is able to have that freedom to then freely follow God. The other thing I saw in here, so I think a lot of us, certainly I myself earlier in my life, think of salvation as this prayer you pray or this box you check and then you're saved and you're good. But if you look a little further down, you know, Paul says, he's talking about righteousness, right? He's talking about sharing in Christ. And he says, not that I've already obtained this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind and straining towards what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And a lot of people would use a sports analogy here. Not going to do that. But what I do want to point out to you guys is that Paul doesn't think he's got it made, right? He doesn't think he's done, he's saved and done, right? This righteousness is a process. And it's a process of keeping his eyes fixed on Jesus daily. He's continuing to turn to the Lord and continuing to focus on that goal. And in mulling this over, I think that's the secret, right? I think keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus is that secret to keeping faith fresh and to continuing to draw closer to the Lord. So I wish I could tell you that, like, yeah, I learned to fix my eyes on Jesus and, you know, I'm a super Christian again. But it doesn't work like that, right? It's a growing process. There are good days and there are bad days. There are days where I feel like I'm able to see what God wants me to do and do it, and there are days where I don't want to. Um, but I think that's what part of this living in the body is still, right? We're still here, and this is a growing process to go through. Um, overall, it's been incredibly rewarding for me, though. I'm still learning, um, and I'm far from perfect. But I would ask you guys, what do you think our church could look like if we were fixing our eyes on Jesus? How would this alter the conversations that we have, the shows that we watch, the way we talk to our kids? Would it change the prayers we pray? Would it change whom we pray for or what we ask of God? 
Would it change how we talk about politics, the way we treat people with different views or people who are different from us, the way we vote? See, living in America, and in Catonsville in particular, we have so many privileges that it's easy to take for granted. You know, most of us assume we'll be able to walk out of here, go about our lives without having to worry about our physical safety. We don't have to worry about our safety in bed at night. We have a stable banking system and government here. We have a police force that protect us as citizens. Most of us can get a job easily, certainly compared to many other places in the world, right? And we have a social security net for people who are down on their luck. And despite all of this, it's so easy to focus on the problems and to focus on the things that aren't going well, right, or the things that we don't like. When we look around, this just becomes natural to us. We become desensitized to how good we have it. We even have a term for this, right? First world problems. Oh, I'm sorry. There was too much mocha in my coffee from Starbucks, right? Uh, or the show I really wanted to watch went off Netflix. Or I'm going to have to wait a whole year for the next season of it. But also, I got passed over for that promotion, right? Still a first world problem. I'm going to have to drive my car that needs repairs for another year rather than buying a new one because I don't have the extra cash for it. Still a first world problem. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we're able to keep things in perspective, and we're able to see people the way he sees them. We're able to see the needs and the loneliness that surrounds us, even here in Catonsville. It creates a heart in us that mirrors God's heart for the world. So um, when you leave here today, I hope that you'll think about that. And I would encourage you all to think about a way that you can just prompt yourself, nudge yourself, to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus rather than everything around us that is so incessant and surrounds us on a continual basis. I hope sharing my stories encouraged you to think a little bit about what it means to call yourself a follower of Christ, or if you're not, what it might mean to become one. Um, and I would encourage you and just leave you here today with the thought of what you can do to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus today. Let's pray. Lord God, I just thank you so much for the privilege to be here and to share today. I thank you for bringing us together, for the freedom that we have to worship you here. I thank you for the relationships that you give us. I pray that you would teach us to treasure them and most of all our relationship with you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to keep our eyes focused on you, even when the things around us are so distracting. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.